Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. Yeah, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> so, Danny, That's right. funerals. <laughs> oh, boy. It's a tough topic, right? For some. What's the etiquette? I think somber. Behave <laughs> modestly. Behave quietly. modestly. Don't, don't create a scene, right? Yeah, that's right. Just try to make it through. Yep. Yeah. Not always easy. <laughs> I've got a good story for you. So when my grandmother passed away, um, this is maybe like 15 years ago. Um, I didn't really have, I didn't have to give a speech or anything, which was nice. You know, I, you know, you never know how you're going to react in sad moments like that. So my mom tasked me with playing a song that was very special to my grandmother, this opera song. She's a big opera, big opera fan. So my mom gives, goes up and gives this speech at this church. You know, like all of my, my grandparents, like elderly friends are there. Um, this is up in Door County and the, during the off season. It's a vacation spot, off season. So it's just kind of the locals there. And um, my mom's like, okay, we're gonna, you're going to play grandma's song. She hands me this gigantic Bose speaker. Remember the old ones that you like, you'd plug your iPod into? Yeah, directly. Yeah, exactly. And um, she's like, okay, I'm going to give my speech and then I'll point to you. All you have to do is press play. That's it. So I'm like, okay, I can handle this. I got this. <laughs> so my mom gives this really nice speech, heartfelt. And then she points to me. I press play and nothing happens. And people are kind of looking around like something they're expecting something to happen because everyone saw my mom point directly at me and they see this <laughs> enormous speaker on my lap. I'm sitting like front row. And, uh, I didn't realize it was like one of these songs that like has a very slow build and a very long intro. And so this like loud crescendo comes and it's like the most shrill, loudest opera singer you could imagine. <laughs> and I didn't realize that my mom had the volume cranked all the way up on this thing. So I'm saying like I can feel this speaker vibrating on my lap and people are looking <laughs> at me like, turn it down, turn it down. But I didn't know how to work the thing. I didn't know if you like do it on the iPod, if there's like a button on the side of that. So it was it was deafening to the point where like I looked at my grandpa and he was like he was he was visibly upset <laughs> with me, <laughs> very uncomfortable. Um, so anyway, that, that uh, it was also like a twelve minute song, which didn't help either. And I just remember being at the reception afterwards with my ears ringing and people coming up and offering their condolences. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, that is a perfect transition into this week's guest. That's right, funeral potatoes. We had one of the co-founders in. We had uh, Eve Stadnichka. Uh, she and her partner Alexis started Funeral Potatoes. There, there were uh, industry veterans from like the catering world and had spent a lot of time cooking. And then during the pandemic, they opened a virtual kitchen. Yeah, kind of right at the beginning of the pandemic, it was a runaway success. Um, and just kind of like blew up. Yeah. I think we talked about it in, uh, Mike Sula's episode. He mentioned that it was one of his favorite meals during the pandemic. So, uh, they're in the process now of transitioning from a virtual restaurant into an actual brick and mortar. They're doing a fundraiser that you're, uh, welcome to, uh, donate to if you're so inclined. Um, we'll hear about the path from, uh, starting the concept up to the point they're at now. And it was, it was cool to hear their story Yeah, it, and it shines a light on some of the more unconventional sides of hospitality in the city that are really well embraced. Absolutely. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Funeral Potatoes.
Eve. Hello. Welcome in. Thank you for having me. Thanks Before for you came in, here. we were trying to remember who had mentioned funeral potatoes first. It was an early episode. We were talking about like favorite pandemic meals and funeral potatoes got the mention. Oh, yeah. I'd love to hear you it. I, I know Mike Sula um, mentioned us in his episode, which mm. was very kind of him. That could have been it. Yeah. 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 He's a good dude. He's wonderful. He likes to shine a light on, uh, on people and you know, concepts that he really digs. He sure does. And it seems like that's what you guys are doing here too, which we always admire and appreciate. Yeah, yeah. you got it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, tell us about how Funeral Potatoes came to be. Well, let's first talk about what Funeral Potatoes, the name is and how that came about. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, you know, COVID hit, I was working as the CDC at Phenom, a little Hungarian cafe. And my business partner, Alexis, ran a catering company called Black Cat Kitchen. And on the exact same day, it was uh, St. Patrick's Day 2020, we both lost our jobs. I got laid off. The, you know, the COVID was here. Alexis lost all of her gigs. And we figured we would just sell meals for a couple weeks until it was all over. And it was not over in a couple weeks. <laughs> and... Um, so when you first started selling meals, did you have a name then? We didn't. We were going by both of our business names. And because the, the concept was so unconventional and we both have real, we had weird business names, the, the elevator pitch was complicated and long. And we thought, you know, we need to condense this and rebrand and come up with a better name. And we were, you know, on deliveries one day, just driving around and we were talking about what we do and what has inspired it. And we've drawn a lot of inspiration from, um, you know, when you're, you're living in a small town, you grew up in a small town, like we did, people will bring casseroles. If you have a baby, if you have, you know, a wedding, they're, they're potlucks and there's always funeral potatoes there. It's a cheesy hash brown casserole. Every family has their own recipe. And we, I think Alexis pitched that idea for a name as a joke. And then a couple <laughs> red lights later, we just kind of looked at each other and we're like, wait a second. Is that a good name, actually? We have to call it yeah. that. We have to call it that. <laughs> and uh, and the rest is history. That's that's how it all started. It's a great name. Thank it's you. a great dish. Yeah. As a uh, Midwestern native, yeah. I've had many a funeral potato. Although I, I don't know that I knew the name. Everybody's got a different name for it. I mm -hmm. think we called it... Uh, party potatoes in our family you know <laughs> nice. everybody's got a different name everybody's got a different recipe but it's always a crowd pleaser mm -hmm. so how did you end up meeting alexis alexis and i have worked together um, many times in different capacities but we met working at a chocolate shop uh, she was running the farmer's markets and i was uh, managing the cafe and we just hit it off we have very complementary personality traits yeah. and we're very different people but the the overlap in our venn diagrams is pretty substantial so it's great we you know she worked for me a couple times we collaborated on the underground dining series i was doing called dinner at the grotto and then i worked for her at black cat kitchen and we've done um a handful of other gig work together. So at the at the time, we we're like, you know what? I think you're like the only person I can tolerate cooking with. <laughs> maybe maybe this will work. <laughs> and are you both from the Midwest? We are. I'm from. Um, I was born in Mineral Point, which is a little town in Wisconsin. Um, but I grew up in Central Illinois in a town called Chillicothe, which is also very small. And 
Alexis grew up in Byron, Illinois, which is a little town outside of Rockford. So hmm. we both both come from communities of like under 5,000. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What pulled you to the city? I was working in film festival administration. I was going to college here. Um, and then I was also working in film festival administration in Wisconsin. So it was kind of a, a good location to be able to be in between my parents and my work in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. yeah. And how did you transition from the film world to the culinary world? Burnout. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'd been doing it for eight years. I had worked for many different festivals. I was the executive director of a festival in Wisconsin. And um, I, what I wanted to do with that work was create dialogue and community through narratives that other people had created and that I was curating. And after a certain amount of time, I was like, wow, this is just a little bit of a circle jerk. Like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're showing a documentary about um, an issue that everybody in the audience already believes in, already cares about. And there is, uh, it's a little bit of an echo chamber. And yeah. I wanted something that created more of a um, like cross-cultural dialogue. So that's how I started my underground dining series, which had just the weirdest turnout of people. It was very satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> and where did you, like, what kind of cuisines were in the underground dining series? It was a little bit of a test kitchen kind of deal. You know, I, I never went to culinary school and I wanted to, um, you know, I was cooking all these dishes in my kitchen, just trying to teach myself how to do, uh, you know, more interesting techniques than what I already knew how to do. And, there was nobody to eat them. So I was like, I guess I should throw a dinner party. And it just snowballed. It, it was going for six years every month. Last Wednesday of the month, wow. there would be, you know, 30 to 70 people in my one bedroom apartment. It was jam packed. It was dangerous and chaotic. And, um, and so it just grew organically. It just grew just organically. Kind of it was word of mouth. And, you know, any, any particular night you'd have, like one night I remember looking around, I was like, wow, they're like lawyers and sex workers and filmmakers. And there's this woman who is like responsible for distributing all of the Hidden Valley Ranch in North America. And like whoa, the whoa. CEO of uh, <laughs> Planned Parenthood Illinois was there once. And I was like, wow, this is just like, this is an in interesting, wonderful yeah. collection of the things I love most about Chicago, which is the people. Yeah, yeah. nice. And were you always cooking, like from a young age, always making things in the kitchen? Yeah, I was. Um, I was homeschooled and I grew up on this overgrown Christmas tree farm in central Illinois. And um, so I was given a lot of freedom and opportunity to focus on the things that I cared about. And cooking was always something I cared about a lot. My parents were not great cooks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot of the things that they made are really nostalgic now that we use to draw inspiration from for our dishes. That's when cool. you cook for them now, are they like blown away? Yeah, it's really, it's it's touching. It's really touching to, um, you know, you guys know it's important to cook for people that you love and being able to cook for your family and have them be excited about it is, it's special. It feels really good. That's really cool. Yeah. As long as they're eating when the meal's hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't eat cold food. Uh, yeah, or just don't, don't maybe just don't take a shower when the meal's almost ready. That's, that's the thing <laughs> They've household. been known to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so tell real quick on this uh, overgrown Christmas tree farm, was that the family business, Christmas trees, or was that just the, the property? No, that was just the property. We bought oh. it. My parents bought it when I was maybe 10. They, My parents were both also from rural areas in Wisconsin, and, um, you know, the... <laughs> 
central area of Chillicothe, Illinois was a little too busy for them with the you know, like cul-de-sac of a hundred people. So sure. we moved yeah. out farther <laughs> to um, to the outskirts of town, and the property is just beautiful. Yeah, um, sounds cool. But it was a really cool place to grow up for sure. Yeah, it's funny that the cooking kind of came out of necessity since the food you were being served wasn't necessarily to your liking <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like know. you know what i gotta change it up I it's like there's only out. so much chili you can eat you know <laughs> <laughs> do your parents cook any who my was dad, cooking when you were my a dad kid? was the cook really all yeah. every meal pretty much i mean he loves to cook similar mm-hmm. to ellie's mom loves to cook yeah just like that's their uh you know reason of being their raison d'etre yeah. now i know we've touched on this before but danny's mother-in-law was my third grade teacher <gasps> Wow. And like we would cook in class. We went to it was a Montessori school, so it was a little. I went to Montessori different. too. Yeah. yeah. And uh, before or after homeschool? Before three years before. Okay. You're like yeah. I've had enough. We I aged out. <laughs> I need I was an the, even smaller. I was school. the only um, sixth grader. I was one of two fifth graders, and I was going to be the only sixth grader. And we were yeah. Like, you know yeah. What? Let's that was just like my wife. She dial was, it back. She went all the way. Like what? Did Ellie Crystal like go to? Yeah, uh, I went to, to eighth, eighth grade. Yeah, Ellie so I went left all the way after or halfway through sixth. Ellie graduated, and I think her graduating class was like seven or eight people yeah. yeah it was really tiny that's how it goes but it was so cool yeah. like we'd have like i remember wearing an apron in class and like we had this little kitchenette thing and and i remember like making mashed potatoes and peeling potatoes with a knife like a real knife yeah, not even like great. a peeler that's it was like, awesome yeah it was, it was cool it was cool as long as it wasn't a rusted blade <laughs> no <Nah>, danny <laughs> Under, underfunded montessori yeah. school <laughs> no nancy wouldn't do that to you no nah. um <laughs> So you kind of had the chops, you were working on it, and you obviously uh, figured a lot of it out on your own. How did it kind of go to the next level? Um, a lot. Uh, it, it was trying to keep up with the momentum, I think. Like, people were very interested, things were selling out, and... Um, at a certain point, you know, I never wanted to work in the restaurant industry. I never wanted to be a chef. I like watched all these documentaries when I was a kid. I was like, these people suck. They're mean. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to get yelled at. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I having people be interested in something that you're doing is such a good motivator to keep doing it and try to do better. And that I think resulted in me, um, you know, I've always liked working in specialty food atmospheres and kind of in the, on the fringes of the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually, you know, every every step of the way, I think, is kind of out of necessity from starting Dinner at the Grotto to Funeral Potatoes. Yeah. So, so is Dinner at the Grotto the name when you were doing it at your house? Yeah, that was the underground dining series. So what were some of the dishes being yeah, served? Gonna... It was... Um, I think the last one that I did, we went down to central Illinois to a goat farm and I got a, a goat leg, this giant goat leg, and I confit it and served it with um, cracklins, pickled rose petals, and like a goat cheese polenta. Um, so it was just stuff like that that was like flavor combinations. I was like, I can't even, I can't quite picture what that would taste like. I want to try that. Interesting. Yeah. And ingredients that I wasn't familiar with working with. I was like, I want to, I want to see if I can figure out how to cook that. Did they ever have specific themes? Like I'm going to do Thai food this week or, you know. Sometimes, yeah. There was a little bit of a, um, like a fundraising component to some of the dinners. Like around Thanksgiving, I would always try to raise money for a, um, like an indigenous organization. So sometimes those 
particular meals would be centered around native foods or um, collaborations I've done with like Erica Kubik from Cheese Sex Death. We did a raclette um, with a pairing of all of the different accessories and Joey fam. We did ramen one night. So um, it was kind of, uh, you know, we just figured out what we wanted to do and then we just ran with it. Yeah. A lot of creative freedom. Was there ever a downsize to having or a downside to having that many people in your house? Always. (laughs) I was, I would cook the food, I'd put it out and I'd be like, I gotta go out back for a smoke. I'm done. (laughs) So I would just sit on a compost bucket behind my apartment while all these people were inside. And a lot of people, you know, I've, I run into people now who came to dinner at the grotto and they're like, I've never, I didn't even know what you looked like because I never saw you there. I was like, yeah, because I didn't want to be there. (laughs) How many people were with you to execute these meals? Just me. Like oh, serving whoa. it, cooking it, yeah. timing it, clearing I it. Would, it was buffet style. I'd get it all on the table. I would, like, make an announcement. Um, it was very, uh, you know, DIY. Like, I, I didn't want to do dishes. So I just did paper plates. And it was creatively liberating to not have to think about all of the intricacies of service and just be like, look, you're here. It's a party. You can be whoever you want to be. You're going to eat really good food. I'm not going to worry about cleanup. Welcome to my home. If you want me, I'll be out back. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. What's a trick for getting people to leave a party? Um, An after party. Oh, yeah. That is a good point. Yeah, there's a bar in Roscoe Village called Liberty Lounge that I had a really great relationship with. And um, 11 p.m. would roll around. I'd be like, you know. If you wanna, if you wanna go to the after party, we're going right now. But I'm not gonna be here, so you gotta leave my apartment. <laughs> oh, so you'd kind of walk them there, and then you'd like, yeah, I'd be like, I'm calling the car. You gotta go. Wait for the last person go. to walk into the bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just be like, gotcha. Bye. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I can't. Were people always respectful of your things? I mean, any hundred percent. Wow. It was shocking. I mean, I never had anything that I know of stolen. Nobody ever broke anything. I mean, I think having that kind of environment invited a sense of trust. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. Like, we don't really, you know, you come into a space like that. It's so weird. You don't really know the rules. And so people are kind of, you know, cautious of their presence. And then once they get comfortable, it's, you know... Also, like, what are they going to steal? Like, my shitty old toaster. (laughs) (laughs) When I was in high school, I had kind of the party house, and we Mm -hmm. had, like, a good basement to host people. We had, like, a a little home theater and, like, you know, like a whatever small bar situation and a pool table. And so every weekend, people would just come over, and it was, like, never really an incident. Everyone was on their best behavior. And then one time, I was in the theater, and I, I went to put it on a movie, and the DVD wasn't in there. I was like, oh no. Oh no, they got And you. I realized that all of our DVD cases were empty. So when it no. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so we'd gone through insane. and like swiped most of the DVDs out of their cases. We didn't notice for like, I don't know when it happened, but wow, probably a it, long time. Was it Bonson? <laughs> it must have been Bonson. So yeah, I'm going to confront him. Yeah. <laughs> he did have that DVD selling business on the side. Yeah, he did. And they were never in cases. <laughs> they're all like yeah, hand drawn covers. <laughs> not, not a red flag at all. Yeah. No. <laughs> Did Alexis ever come to one of these meals? She did. We collaborated on a couple of them. Um, I think we actually collaborated. We collaborated on one of the last ones, which was for um, uh, recreational cannabis had just been legalized. So we did an infused dinner, which was pretty fun. And That's that was cool. like right before the pandemic hit. Careful, Danny's a narc, but <laughs> it's okay. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> 
So wait, what, what, what was that legal. deal like? That was really fun. Um, we did a bunch of just like weird stoner food. We did, I think we did some like breakfast for dinner stuff, like a mm. blueberry pork belly um, breakfast sandwich on Hawaiian rolls with some weird cheeses and pickles and stuff. That, which was, so, yeah, it's it a, a combination of, of flavors that that get it done. Yeah, that's cool. How much did these meals cost? Like, or did they did they range? They were all a, I believe it was a forty dollars suggested donation, but like, you know, everybody always paid it. Um, so they were cheap. I wanted to keep the expectations really low. Um, yeah, that's did anyone ever steal. throw down a big donation? And oh kinda, yeah, that's people. Cool. Every once in a while, people would be very generous, that's um, cool. which was great because it was a suggested donation, genuinely, and some people who couldn't afford it would just come for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people left lifetime supplies of Hidden Valley Ranch. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was working that angle hard. <laughs> yeah. Like so, uh, my ranch cabinet's pretty low. <laughs> Uh, do you know anyone know that anyone might be anyone, yeah, could help me with this? <laughs> <laughs> the sex worker's like, I got you. <laughs> it's a team effort. <laughs> so, all right. So what year? All right. Well, hold on. I guess t- get, trying to get the timeline down. So yeah. you said it was St. Patrick's Day 2020. Mm-hmm. When you guys were both like jobs gone. And then how quickly did you guys do your first, um, like, I guess, would you call it? It's a virtual kitchen. Yeah. Um, virtual restaurant, I Mm -hmm. guess. When was the first time you did that? And then how did you promote that? The first one ever, I want to say we started talking about it that very day. Like I texted Alexis was like, I don't have a job. She's like, girl, me either. (laughs) And, um, and we're like, you know, what if we sold soup? Like that could be cool. And I think it was maybe the next week that we dropped our first menu and opened orders and, Uh, we were cooking everything out of the phenom kitchen. Um, they were, you know, my bosses were generous enough to let me use the space, um, which was great, except there was no counter space. (laughs) It was like cooking out of a Starbucks. Mm -hmm. So we, and we didn't know what we were doing. So we got all these orders. They're coming in. We're like hand sending out, like typing invoices and sending them out. And then there's like these little induction burners of burning polenta and everything was just going to shit. And we're like, why did we decide to do this? <laughs> how, how many meals were you making at that time? Like It was, it was small. It was like, I think the first one was like 45 or something. Okay. And then what's the biggest for comparison, I guess? Um, I want to say maybe a hundred. Okay. A little over a hundred. So was it was the busiest week. Yeah. Yeah. And so you guys, how does, will you release the menus? Is it just through Instagram? Yeah. Just through Instagram. Now we have a website, but that that's a very recent development. Yeah. How did you guys set up the infrastructure? Was it just learning from mistakes? Like, oh, I think we need to do this now. This didn't go right this time. I think we need this in place. What was that? Um, how did you kind of build that out? The, the learning curve, um, you know, is still happening. It happened kind of on a daily basis. Um, we would just run into a problem that uh, Alexis especially, we're both, you know, fairly resourceful people, but Alexis is a great problem solver. And um, as soon as we hit any bumps, it would be, a you know, a conversation like, how do we figure this out? How do we make this more sustainable? How do we solve this going forward? Um, and a lot of times those things, we didn't even realize problems, you know, until many, many years later, like, or many months later, like we would, uh, I think the first entire year we were 
writing every single order down in a notebook for a whole year. (laughs) (laughs) So such a a waste of time when we were like, oh, wait, we can print off spreadsheets. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still a hand writer. Yeah, it drives my business partners insane. (laughs) She'll be like, hey, where's this order? I'm like, it's in it's on one of these pages. I'm like flipping through. It's like, put it in a spreadsheet or put it in an email. It's it's on this old receipt that I got. Seriously, I like napkins. I'm like rummaging through my pockets. I've gotten better over the years. We like finally we use Trello to manage both stuff now, which has been a godsend. But like yeah, there was a long time the where it was just, just on your hand handwriting and stuff. you got yeah. a sweaty hand. You're like, oh, I can't really read it anymore. Oh, story yeah. of my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We used to send out, I would send out every single invoice through text, hand texted. So it, that was just thousands of invoices oh, for man. years, like two years, I think, until we got our ordering platform set up. What, so what it was a Google form. We were using, um, now we use Bento Box, which is great. Oh, yeah, I did see yeah. that, actually. Um, and then do you guys, were, were you just getting, like, Venmos and Zells? How yeah. are people paying? Venmo and a Google form. Wow. Yeah. And you currently do food Saturday through Monday? Yeah, we keep our order form open Saturday at 3 p.m. through Monday at 10 p.m. Okay. And then that's when everything's fulfilled in that time frame. Everyone. So those are all pre-orders that people place. And then we cook on Wednesday and deliver Thursday, Friday. Okay. Got, oh, got yeah. it. Okay. Cool. So, so you accept orders Saturday to yes. Monday. Got it. And what are the Thursday, delivery Friday. borders? We deliver everywhere from um, Evanston to Hyde Park. So we've gone wow. all over the whole Damn. city. Yeah. And how do that's you guys wild. map out your routes? Also hand-drawn, Alexis kind of, um, you know, she'll create delivery zones based on people's neighborhoods. Um, and then we have different, you know, delivery fees based on the neighborhoods that we're delivering to. What's the highest delivery fee and the least expensive? I want to say the cheapest is there's like a little bit of a free zone kind of right around our kitchen. Um, it goes from like, I think, $5 to $11. We're okay. still trying to keep it pretty low. Yeah. And do you guys employ drivers or do you guys do it yourself? Okay. We do. Say, yeah, we, we can't have. Cover that much. No, we have. We, we tried for when, a while. Yeah, we start when Moonlighter was doing food at the beginning of the pandemic. Like me and my partners, we were the ones driving all the orders around it was it was pretty wild for a very short period of time well i also have to say i mean i i don't have a driver's license i don't know how to drive so (laughs) alexis has been doing all of the driving for our company since day one and i i don't know why she's still my business partner why she sticks around (laughs) have you guys talked about you getting your driver's license all the time i'm so scared (laughs) oh it's not bad I have no, uh, like my, my spatial, my sense of space. I'm like, I, I can barely walk. Why would, why would you trust me with a car? Um, but we do have another driver. We have, uh, one driver who's with us every week. And then we have a crew of a couple other folks who jump in when it's a busier week. Um, and then we have three incredible employees in the kitchen too. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's a pretty big team now. We got a decent team. Yeah. Cool. And how long is production taking you? We cook for, I want to say, like six to eight hours on Wednesday. So we just, we speed run. We, that's like the, the thing we're trying to focus on now is, you know, making sure everything is happening really efficiently. Um, but it's it's nice. That was part of the business model to begin with, to make sure that we had enough flexibility and air and room to breathe in our schedule that we didn't burn out. 
So keeping it to one day in the kitchen a week has kept us going, honestly. Wow. Now for food, like not every dish travels that well. Yeah. So what, what are some things that do travel well and things that it's like, we can't even consider this because it's not going to work? You know, we initially, we were no like... No French fries. <laughs> no French fries. Nothing <laughs> fried. Uh, we, we used to um, like put out Instagram polls and be like, what do you guys want to see on the menu? And people were like, dim sum. And we're like, no. <laughs> Hot pot, no. <laughs> um, so we do a lot of casseroles we do a lot of um we'll do sandwich kits that are like pre-made but you assemble them at home um baked goods cookies breads desserts icebox cakes we're on like a real icebox cake kick right now Um, what's an icebox cake it is a layered chilled cake made with cookies or biscuits and some kind of like creamy component Mm. also another potluck staple so a lot of folks will do like the the pretzel and like uh, cherry jello. Do you are you familiar with this? Like the Cool Whip thing that people oh, bring. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It's got it's very nostalgic, like super old fashioned. But we've been doing um, some fun flavor profiles with it. Yeah, it's always layered. Yeah, right? it's always layered. And then like you let it sit in the fridge overnight, and whatever the you know the the cookie component is will get soft overnight. So it won't lose its entire structure, but it'll mm-hmm. be it won't be crispy anymore. And that's kind of the the textural delight of the whole thing. So hmm. the so the most work a recipient will have to do is a, a little bit of assembly, but yeah. they don't they don't need like a mandolin or like any sort of like specialty. None whatsoever. Equipment. Everything is already totally cooked. So mm-hmm. if you, most of our dishes are frozen. You just throw them in the oven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. And what's been the most popular dish since the launch? Always the funeral potatoes. Alexis has There's been so many iterations. All right. So many. Um, the most popular, I want to say, um, is Alexis's kimchi ranch funeral potatoes. So we get kimchi from Jungbu from, I think it's called 80 million kimchi. They do a really great vegan kimchi. And then she makes her own ranch bechamel. And then we add a bunch of different kinds of cheese. Yeah. Sounds good. You you can't go wrong, really. It's hard to fuck up. (laughs) So are you eating these dishes yourself? I mean, is that like your main meal? Are you just picking from... It, it a lot of a lot of the times it is, uh, and and some of the time I'm just so sick of of looking. I'm like I can't eat <laughs> Too another much comfort food. Bite I'm uncomfortable. Of potatoes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're very familiar with that, that occupational hazard. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so at what point did you guys start to feel like okay, we've succeeded in this virtual restaurant arena. Now we want to transition into brick and mortar. We have given that one a lot of thought because we initially, when we started out, we're like, this is actually a very sustainable business model. It's weird and unconventional. Uh, we never thought it would work like this, but it does. So what reason do we have to, you know, do anything else? And, um, honestly, we got, we're, we're starting to feel a little burnt out on the restrictions of having to make all of our food, um, able to be delivered yeah you know there's only so much you can do with when everything has to be frozen everything has to be made you know in a a pretty large quantity like our entrees are probably two and a quarter pounds 
of food that will serve a whole family or somebody, you know, for a week. And we want to do cute little toasts. We want to have our nice little vintage plates and we really want to employ our staff full time and be able to give them some benefits that they, they deserve. They're all working like two to three jobs. Yeah. Where is your staff people you had worked with along the way as well, or were these new people? Not really. No. Um, our first employee was somebody that Alexis had worked alongside at, um, at the farmer's markets that she was doing. And then that person introduced us to one of their coworkers and then we hired her too. And then we hired that coworkers roommate. So it was just like, they kind of supplied themselves. Like we've never done a job interview. We're just like, Oh yeah. If you, I mean, we trust your judgment. If you think this person's a good fit, then they probably are. And they always have been. We've everybody that we've been able to employ has been amazing. That's great. We're really fortunate. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. So you're, we're doing a fundraiser mm-hmm. to we get sure are. to, and I've noticed, so it's a monthly goal, right? Yes. And I checked this morning and you're almost at <laughs> so the April close. goal. You'll so probably close. cross that threshold today, right? I'm like refreshing the page every eight <laughs> seconds. Yeah. <laughs> it's exciting. Um, so do you guys have like a space picked out? Like how far along in the process are you? So we, we, when we started trying to figure this out, we were doing it backwards. We were like looking at spaces and they're like, well, what's your budget? We're like, we don't have any money. What? Yeah. And, um, so, (laughs) so we were, uh, we linked up with a realtor who's been awesome and has been sending us some listings just so we have like a concept of what's available in the area. We would really love to stay in Logan. Mm -hmm. Um, cause we both live here. We both lived here for 10 years and, um, once we understood that we need to start doing the money first, we're like, okay, how can we make this process engaging and fun? So we're doing a fundraiser on June 3rd called the Howdy Y'all Disco Ball. And um, that will be an opportunity for people to contribute to the brick and mortar um, fund and also see some drag performances and eat some like weird retro party snacks and have good you know good drinks good company good music nice where is this gonna be this will be at see you soon um which is an event space in the kimball art center oh cool i was just in there yesterday oh really not getting fancy dog food this time (laughs) i was not there for dog food no (laughs) they have dog food there i guess Uh, for dog's sake yeah it's a very it's a great dog boutique marcia go see marcia yeah those were that was maybe one of the most wild interludes yeah. the joiners podcast there's cool stuff in there orknoy and uh Love orknoy. Yeah. and uh dayglow yeah dayglow yeah both great yeah good um, coffee cocktails so are you worried that when you get to the brick and mortar place that some of the flexibility that you are enjoying now will disappear 100 percent um <laughs> yeah for sure we uh, you know it's really important to us i think that's something that we see everybody sees in the industry is this tremendous amount of labor and burnout and not having a good work-life balance. And we've always wanted to avoid that. Um, 
So that's a that's probably the biggest risk, one of the biggest risks that we're taking um, with this. But when we look at the future, um, the thing that has sustained us this entire time and something that we are always going to care about is community. And we miss being able to see our customers face to face. We miss being able to like share a space with somebody who's eating a meal that we cook. There's something really special about that that we haven't been able to have really at all for three years and um, and to create something that's sustainable for other people and that benefits the community. Um, we, you know, we want to open the cafe that we wish we could go to like today, you yeah, know, I mean, so what are the hours that you would imagine for the space? We're, we're imagining an all day cafe. So, you know, we'd open in the morning, people come in for coffee on their way to work. And then we stay open until probably four or five early evening. And then, um, that would also give us flexibility to, if we wanted to do a pop-up or a collaboration or invite a guest chef in or something to do an evening event, we could still have the, the freedom to do that. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Sounds like an ideal. Yeah. Yeah. We really want cool situation. We want squishy couches. We're like, <laughs> you know, um, there are so many wonderful coffee shops in the neighborhood, but there are also so many like uncomfortable metal stools and it's true. you know, yeah. I always think that's and, intentional. Yeah. yeah what like, do you? What do you? All right. The, you'll be comfortable in the seat for forty-five minutes, yeah. and that's exactly how long we want you. Here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Yeah. yeah we're. Uh, probably gonna have somebody like sink into the couch and yeah. just stay there danny you have spikes that come out of the seats at yeah, Scott right. Law, right? every 45 minutes a spike will come out yeah. and remind you to leave yeah. do they have to have poison tips on them yeah. <laughs> that just seems egregious yeah i mean it was a necessity we don't want people <laughs> to remember that it, no we don't want people to remember that it happened yeah <laughs> um so okay so you're raising this money yeah and you and alexis have been kind of in lockstep this whole time mm-hmm. like similar vision so on and so forth yeah um, how would you describe your culinary style independent of Alexis's? So I, um, Alexis does a lot of very fresh, bright, veggie forward, accessible, crowd pleasing. Like most of our best sellers are Alexis's dishes. They're just so good. And I think I have a tendency to be a little more experimental, which can be you know, good, some hit or miss. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love working with wild game. I love working with foraged ingredients. Um, you know, a lot of the people that I've turned to for inspiration as I, you know, learned how to cook and, um, developed an interest in this aren't chefs, they're hunters, they're fishermen, they're home cooks. Um, and that's that's kind of where our styles collide is in in the the hominess of wanting to make something that makes you feel good and makes you feel nurtured. Um, but I I think we balance each other out really well because we if it was just me we wouldn't have any vegan dishes. <laughs> <laughs> Does yeah. she primarily eat vegan? Her husband's a vegetarian, so she's she's you know I remember Sensitive the first time it. yeah I'm. I'm um, she made these roasted beets once, like one of the first weeks, and I ate one, and I was like, "I've never had a beet like that before. How the fuck did you do that?" <laughs> and she told me, and I made them probably ten times before I got them right. But it was it was wow. so simple. And um, what made them so good? Um, cutting them bigger than I think they need to be because they'll shrink, and cutting them in kind of that gem style where they're all like irregular shapes but all the same size. 
and there was some kind of um, like brown sugar, black pepper, maybe even liquid smoke component that I was just like, I could eat these all day. Hmm. I could eat these forever. Wow. Yeah. Now you're making me want to eat these beets. <laughs> Danny, you got beet fever? <laughs> Can't beat it. <laughs> all right, that's that's more than enough. So did you see, did you meet other um, chefs and people from the restaurant community during the pop-ups? Like, were, were people coming out? Like, who were, who was the clientele, I guess? So uh, most of, uh, are you talking about the dinner at the grotto or funeral potatoes? I guess, I guess at all. I, was specific, I specifically meant funeral potatoes. Yeah, for I'm sure. I'm interested in both. So um, <clears throat> over the years, I've been really fortunate to make some awesome friends in the restaurant industry. And um, those people have been so supportive of our pop-ups. You know, we've like, uh, we've done Sunday Mondays at Longman and Eagle. I'm really good friends with Elena Regan, who owned Elizabeth and the current owner, um, Tim is another good friend of mine. So they've been incredibly supportive. Um, you know, we just, we value industry friendships, not from a perspective of like trying to get a job or trying to progress or become, um, part of the like hierarchy of a kitchen environment, but, Mm -hmm. um, just because there is such intrepid, creative, cool people who we we value yeah i can see people seeking your concept out because it is unique and yeah. you know out of the ordinary it's That's something that that i think thrives in this city is is the weird stuff that um finds its footing because of this like blue collar mentality of camaraderie like we're all in this together we all have something to contribute to help each other out yeah perfect for a concept born out of a pandemic 100 yeah. percent, absolutely yeah. so have you guys ever done a beverage component and will there be at the brick and mortar we're we're on the fence. I think that we need to do a, a cute little beer and wine program. And Alexis is uh, rightfully kind of balking at the idea of having a liquor license because yeah, I mean both of us are are cautious of the money. You know the pros and cons. We're weighing them heavily right now. Um, we've never, to my knowledge, I don't think we've ever done a beverage component. We did. Um, partner with the Newport Theater a couple times and they they created some like interesting craft cocktails that we added to our menus but other than that not really when you were doing them at your place was there ever a beverage component there was a BYO a cooler of old Milwaukee in the (laughs) by the dumpster (laughs) (laughs) nice um yeah I mean I guess you could talk to like Loaf Lounge and see you know, they don't have a beverage mm-hmm. component. Maybe yeah. like they probably have opinions about it. Yeah. I'd probably love to talk thought, to them. They, they're they so aspirational. Their stuff is so good. Like yeah. is so we just ate it today. Danny brought me a breakfast sandwich today. Hell yeah. It's so good. It's so I don't good. understand. Like the first time I bought bread from there, I had it, you know, I ate a slice. It was delicious. And then like four days later, I ate another slice. I was like, how is this still fresh? Like, how does it taste more fresh than other loaves of bread I've had right out of the oven? Maybe they broke into your apartment and replaced it with a fresh loaf. (laughs) That's what they're doing. Just (laughs) waiting. Whoa. You don't think they really did that, Danny. Cut off one third of it. (laughs) Uh, What's your bread storage situation? I got to, I need to do what you're doing. Are you, you're not a fridge storer. No, I'm just, uh, you know. On the counter? Darnell wrap on the counter yeah yeah i never know what to do i think there's a i mean i think you put it like in a drawer in the shade 
is ideal, but like a dry. <laughs> so you're like, you've got like a filing cabinet under a tree. No, I mean, we have. What's so in that filing The reason I'm saying this you? is because in our kitchen, there was like a random drawer with like a kind of like oh. a plastic, like a fiberglass cover oh. on it. Oh my God. Like, what that, is this? We had that growing up and too. And so wow. I slid it back and then someone, the realtor was like, yeah, it's a bread drawer. And I was like, huh. And I'd never thought to like store bread, but it makes sense. Like, wait, that came in your house? Yeah. What year was your house built? Like I mean, 18 something? Yeah, a very long Very time old ago. house. Yeah, we had that too when I was a kid. And our house was built like the year I was born, 86. And then we had like a pullout thing with a clear. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's a bread drawer. Yeah. What's the clear thing on? Is it like it's slide like a, back? Yeah, yeah exactly. You like, you like, like slide it back to open it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, the little, it was like I a think little it's like gold the key. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Was it effective? Is it like? Uh, yeah, I can't speak to the difference. <laughs> I mean, I would just assume that keeping oxygen and sunlight off of your bread is probably ideal. It's the way to go. Yeah, yeah. just like, but you wrap it. So I wrap it, I, and my apartment is like half underground. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, I have I a problem with like the flour on bread looks a lot like mold. How, how many times have you time. stared so at a loaf times. of bread and you're like, is this mold? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do we care? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, put it in the That'll kill it. Yeah. yeah. Kills all the bacteria. Sure does. No, are there other places like around the city that you find inspiration from or you take For inspiration sure, from? For sure, yeah. There's um, there's a, a place in Hyde Park called uh, Cafe 53 that just has this insane sandwich menu it's huge and very multicultural they've got you know some offerings from i think vietnam and some offerings Mm. from the middle east and there's like a greek element we're like where are these people from um and a wonderful coffee program and like a huge pastry case and every time we go down there we will stop there on delivery days it's always hopping like there's always people just hanging out reading having conversations i think they have a um a little back patio area as well hmm. um this super is a wild aspirational menu. tons yeah. of sandwiches it's crazy and right? everything almost everything is under 10 bucks yeah and wow. they have uh vegan options vegetarian options it does look good it's really good highly Baked recommend sandwiches hmm. the garlic the chicken is 53 whew. yeah i gotta go down there that's the first order the garlic chicken that's what we should go for that's that's what i go for it has not failed me yet wow so you ride along Good for tip. the deliveries, even though you're not driving. Oh, it's yeah. Like... That's what we were doing today. Um, I'll, I'll ride shotgun and hop out and run the bags oh, up to, to people's quick. porches. Yeah, She's Efficiency. handwriting the receipts. Handwriting the receipts, <laughs> writing little thank you notes. Delivering with charm and then just piecing out. <laughs> so do you guys have an infrastructure to get feedback from people? Do you rely on like comments on social media, or how do you guys get feedback and what do you do with it? A little bit of all of the above. You know, people um, will send out reheating instructions via email, and people will often um, reply with feedback or thoughts. Um, there's also a, uh, there's a portion to you know leave notes in your in the order form, and that makes our week every single week. There are a couple people who order and just leave the most delightful, thoughtful notes about what they've eaten from us the week before so that that keeps our spirits up and then every once in a while like a couple i think last week we got an email um somebody's bread was underdone and it's like oh my god oh no <laughs> <laughs> what do you do in that situation what do we do we offered them a um a discount on a future order and a lot of apologies and some extras and they were very happy it's a, another um loyal customer we're very lucky to not have had any 
asshole customers, I don't think. Not that I can remember. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. We've had a couple of people, like, uh, back when we were manually sending out invo- invoices, uh, a couple of people, like, flake on payments, but that was pretty mm, much it. That's, that's cool. brutal. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't wasn't great, but, you know. Yeah. It's a small rate, I yeah. assume. But, yeah. People uh, can disappoint you, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> people can disappoint. Yeah. <laughs> I just looked quote. directly at Tim when I said it. <laughs> I, I locked eyes with him. <laughs> <laughs> it was very tender. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm curious about more hidden gems before we get to the gratuity round. Yeah. yeah. What, what other spots have you, and have you like discovered places on some of these drives throughout the city and up, Always. Through, up to Evanston? Oh my God! Yeah, we we've I think we have a list somewhere of all of our favorite delivery stops. Bale is one. Mm. In uptown, yeah, Vietnamese. Um, so good, so messy to eat in a car, but so worth it. Yeah. Um, another one that I personally love is Trey Kroner. Yeah. In Albany Park. Yeah, the Danish. Just has such a, a comfortable energy and. Um, it's a great breakfast. Spot. It's so good and it's like. It's always jamming. It's always it's always. Uh, it's the best. It's the best, and you have. Um, oh, Nordic Bistro. This. Yeah. The, the patience, you know, it's it always takes a long time to get your food. And, like, I'll go to the bathroom, and there's just, like, the old ladies in the kitchen just, like, hamming it up. Like, yeah, I will wait. Like, because I know <laughs> yeah. you're having fun cooking, and that's yeah, that's what matters really good. to me. Yeah, um, yeah that's a great one. Yeah. We were just, my wife and I were driving around there the other day, and I was like, we need to go back. This does not look like Chicago. It really doesn't. <laughs> but it is. Yeah. Except maybe the Kris Kringle market. It's very cute so before we do get to the gratuity round are there other things that you want to talk about that haven't been mentioned so far um you know i we did an interview a couple days ago and um we were asked what do you value about the hospitality industry and i've been so i've been chewing on that the last couple days um so you gave them your bad answer but we're about to get the good answer (laughs) alexis and i are like chronic curmudgeons and it's tax season we're like we can't think of a fucking thing (laughs) um (laughs) but um you know as we've been fundraising um it's given me an opportunity to really reflect on the camaraderie of the industry and how um how much people truly care about supporting their peers and, and believing in a better future for the industry that can serve everybody um, more equitably, more holistically, and, and put people's lives and needs first. And that's what we're trying to do. And to see so much support for that, it's, it's incredibly touching. And it ma- makes me think like, you know, we need, we need more of this. Um, and, and we don't, you know, we're just flying by the seat of our pants. We don't really know what we're doing, but we're looking forward to, you know, what this city's landscape looks like in 10 years or five years mm-hmm. as more people kind of come into their own and think, you know, start doing things outside of the box and get the same kind of support that we've seen. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Tim, you're going to hit us with a gratuity round? It's time. It's time. This episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. 
Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, complete your bar. What's your death row meal? Death row meal. Um, <laughs> Funeral potatoes. It would is the clever answer. But don't go with it. It's well, too easy. I uh, I can never die because <laughs> it's a wheel of Rush Creek Reserve cheese, uh, which is only available in November, and a handful of fried morels, which are only available in wow. uh, this time of year. So you know, I'm just gonna live forever. It's so I'll just clever. Keep keep smoking my cigarettes. <laughs> the morels are out now. Fine. I know. I'm going. We're gonna go down. Um, hopefully, the next in the next week to go hunting around my my parents' property and some friends' property. Oh, cool. that's cool. Any tips for finding morels? Mm. Um, they're always more orange than you think they're going to be, unless you're mm. looking for the gray ones. But, like, the ones that we find in central Illinois, I'm always looking for, like, you know, the little gray spots. I'm like, no, I need to remember. They're, like, kind of beige. They're kind of, like, w- more of a warm tone than I think. And then once you get your morel eyes, like, dialed in, then they start showing up everywhere. Hmm. Have you tips on where to look? Um, you know, actually, um, my friend's property where we hunt for them is, I used to, I was taught that, you know, you look in woods by dead trees. This is actually a giant prairie that's burned every year. Um, so I would, I wouldn't be surprised if more, uh, if, if people would find more morels in prairie landscapes. Hmm. Yeah. And then are you, I mean, my fear foraging for mushrooms would be eating a poisonous mushroom is that ever something that are you more afraid of a psychedelic mushroom or a poisonous one poisonous one for sure okay um not i mean with some mushrooms not morels like we've i i've been looking for them i've been hunting them since i was really little so it's i'm not too afraid about uh poisonous lookalikes but i'm also um, not very good at finding mushrooms in general. <laughs> my mm-hmm. my dad and sister always beat me every year. So. <laughs> What's your favorite morel dish? Oh my god! Okay, I feel very passionately about this. Um, it's fried in a lot of butter with salt and pepper, eaten straight out of a cast iron skillet. Do not put them on a plate. Do not serve them on toast. Like I mean, you can. Like they're still delicious either to way. Keep but warm, you mean? there's something really special about that moment when you pull this dish off the stove and you're in the kitchen with your family. It's about the environment and mm-hmm. atmosphere too. Um, and you're like, man, that you're never gonna see this at a restaurant. Like you just yeah. went in the backyard, picked these mushrooms, and and now you're like kind of sneaking. You're like, oh, I'm just gonna have one. Then you have ten. You know, <laughs> um, that that's one of my absolute favorite eating experiences sounds great yeah. i thought i found a morel in front of our office on fulton in west town a no. couple of years ago and i was like wow <laughs> I, I took a picture and i posted it on instagram a little story and i'm like did i just find a morel in, in west town and they're like that's a stinkhorn <gasps> which looks almost exactly like a morale. So you could have been poisoned. So I ate it out of a cast iron skillet. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Are I those poisonous? I don't think they're poisonous, oh, I but know. I wouldn't fucking eat one. They're, they smell so bad. Like, yeah. they live up but to their Tim, name. But Tim, I mean, with Tim and how he generally smells, like, I don't know if he'd notice. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'd be like perfume to a Tim. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. You're drawn to it. Yeah. yeah. All right. What is, I mean, what is your favorite hidden gem restaurant? Did we talk about it already? Um, let's see. Okay. Oh, I have a good one. Um, Turquoise Cafe in Roscoe Village mm. is like my go-to birthday restaurant. Mm. I love them so much. Their Osobuco is incredible. The service is phenomenal. They make a mean martini. Um, and I, I never hear anybody talking about them, and they're just so good. All right. What is your favorite fast food? Culver's, man. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and what's the order? Okay. If we need to base this podcast in LA. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I always, okay, so I get a kid's butter burger meal, Ooh. and... And the trick is um, you take, you know, they have the, the token on the side of the bag and you're supposed to collect those to get like a stuffed animal or something. And then they have the free scoop token. You pocket that one. You take the other one, you fold it up and you go up to like the least experienced looking person at the counter. Mm-hmm. Like, I want my free scoop, please. And then they'll just give it to you. And then you got two scoops. Wow. Yeah, pro tip. Move. A little sleazy. Well, but letting out my tip. secrets. Yeah, I, th- I think I, Culver's I about, will survive. I know about the tokens because I <laughs> saved so up. Good. I in high school this. and got a stuffed plush Scoopy. <gasps> Scoopy is the uh, mascot, mascot our man. of Culver's. Yeah. He's, He's our, our man. man. <laughs> he can't do it. No one can. I have a full Scoopy costume. I go with Scoopy for Halloween every <laughs> year. Is that your cosplay? And Christmas and Easter. I'm you always in Scoopy. Scoopy. Every family gathering, I'm scooping it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Getting back on track here. Uh, what is your favorite cocktail? I love a martini. Uh, Gin, um, not dirty, but with one olive, just so everybody knows I'm drinking a martini. Yeah. Yeah. And you're cool with vermouth and stuff. I'm cool with vermouth. Nice. Rob Lapata is the only one allergic to vermouth. Couldn't handle it. He'll sniff it out. Yeah. (laughs) It's very sensitive. All right. What trivia category would you dominate? You know, I was a nerdy homeschooler. I think I could do pretty good at uh, any, like, literature, like, boring literature questions I think I could Mm. handle. Like American Lit? American Lit, classics, yeah. I remember we would watch Jeopardy, and I was like, wow, I'm a fucking genius. (laughs) (laughs) I know who Emily Bronte was. Yeah. (laughs) That is maybe the most boring book I was ever, (laughs) (laughs) I ever had to read. I, I never, never could do assigned reading in uh in school very understandable couldn't do it and then then you get called on like so what'd you think of it and you're like oh it's a great question uh, hmm. <laughs> you know i guess it's just all so good it was so good um, so good all right uh to what do you attribute your success um my uh i think there are three things one is my skin color one is my family's support and one is my friends the trifecta the the trifecta that the when i look when i trace the roots of those three things back um to they they've touched on every experience i've had and and it's especially my friends it's just unbelievable to think about my life and all of the people that have been here for me um throughout all of the the weird things that i've chosen to do yeah do you think that you've been afforded special um opportunities i guess by skin color like or what do you mean by that um 
I, you know, I think that race just touches everything in yeah. ways that I don't even notice. And, mm-hmm. um, to, to be so far ahead because of the privileges that I have, um, it's so it's, I find that very much worth acknowledging when I think about my success. Yeah. It's yeah. important to be aware of. Yeah. 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 Um, and I try to think about it a lot because it's easy to get you know, we, we work really hard. And so it's really easy to get caught in this, this thought cycle of like, oh, it's just our pure, hard, you know, sweat and blood labor. And like, oh, there are other things at play here that might not be at play for other people. And, um, trying to be conscious of that, I think helps, helps you have empathy and helps you understand how to help people better. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, all right. What is something that bars or restaurants or virtual restaurants do that might annoy you? Ooh, um, the metal stools for sure. <laughs> um, I agree. Yeah, I hate them. And I'm sad to say that we have those in our office. Do we you? have four of them in our kitchen. Oh man, you gotta upgrade. Well, we went we went for metal at Scoffa. Now we have uh, the wooden ones. But yeah, they have backs. Oh, the backs. Nice. That's you're never gonna get rid Back of me. Back is key. Yeah, and then we have like the cane ones at Ov, and then yeah, more like cushy. You know that vinyl, yeah, that moonlighter and and slow, very slouchy Victorian couches at Scofflaw. Yeah, we have, we have comfortable seating, about. comfortable bar seating. How many times have you had to wake somebody up on one of those couches? <laughs> it's definitely it, happened. It, it happened in the early days. It's more like raunchy, you know, <laughs> heavy petting. Night. Yeah, heavy petting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It actually just came up to at Outside Voices with the patio, like when it gets dark out there, and it's like. Well, maybe you know, it shouldn't be just... so romantic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't be giving people wine. It's <laughs> my fault. Make the vibes worse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we need more uh, spikes to come out of seats. Yeah. Tim All right. Style. And then this last question. We talked about the best thing about the hospitality scene, but what's the best thing about Chicago's dining scene? Ooh. Um, I think it's the workers. I think it's the people who put so much time and effort and knowledge into making an experience that's memorable and singular and um, that, you know, something that I, you know, I cook for myself. Alexis cooks for herself. It kind of takes the, um, it adds a level of excitement and specialness to be able to go out and be treated by somebody when you're, you know, spend most of your time doing that solo. Um, And to have that that good experience of dining in a place where you feel welcome and comfortable and people are happy, that that means a lot. And it always shows. Yeah. And there are so many places that do it so well. Yeah. It's almost absolutely it's almost paralyzing when you have to be like, where do you want to go to eat? Like, like where Culver's. Do you start? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got an extra token. <laughs> All right. Well, that was the last question. Eve, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much yeah. for having me, guys. I really appreciate thanks it. Thanks for being here. Sure. My pleasure. And that concludes our conversation with Eve Studnichka from Funeral Potatoes. Feel free to like and subscribe. Don't forget to drop us a little review. Positive reviews only, please. Positive review if you're so inclined. Uh, Check us out at JoinersPod on Instagram. Our email is JoinersPod at gmail.com. If you have any guests that you want to see on the show, any feedback, 
yada 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 fun culver stories you want to share yeah you want to just shout out culver some more for free <laughs> um <laughs> yeah we're doing weekly reels recipes throwback photos etc a real cornucopia of content on instagram that's right all free of charge we do it because we love it that's right and all the video content was done by joseph guzzo the third Goosemeister. And this episode was produced by Matt Haddock, music by Captain Cuts. Please check us out next week. Joiners Pod. Goodbye.